Are you all glad you're in church today? Yeah. Amen. I'm glad to be here too. And why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles with me this morning. And um, I just want to reemphasize uh, tomorrow night for the Passion for Purity. Women, you're invited. It's the last class, the absolute last. So come on out. I'll be sharing the last one. So um, if you haven't come to any of them, it's okay. Come on out and just be there. We're finishing up in Genesis chapter 2. I hear people tell me, are we still in Genesis? Said, we're going to be in Genesis for a whole year at least. So. Uh, so we'll be in Genesis, Genesis, Genesis chapter two, verse 18. And I know some of you are absolutely looking forward to next Sunday. So if you've been on your Daniel fast, those of you who have really been on your Daniel fast, I have heard there's parties going to be going on next Sunday. <laughs> Let me tell you, be afraid. Okay. Because some of those parties, you're going to get sick. You, you're planning to like binge yeah binge be careful be really careful but for those um i've heard some have fallen off but you got right back on and that's okay you know but you know uh one of the things that we were doing the other day is we were talking about what fasting does and what fasting does the whole purpose of fasting is that it reveals what controls you so for some of you You've been realizing what controls you. Food. Food. It controls. You got, you got to get to the point where it's not, you know, it's not such a controlling substance in your life. We are not supposed to eat to live. No, we're not supposed to live to eat. We're supposed to eat to live. Okay? You are not supposed to live to eat. That is not your primary purpose of living. Sorry to disappoint some of you, but that is not your primary purpose. You are supposed to eat to live. Amen? I went to the Texas Roadhouse yesterday. Okay. <laughs> my brother flew in. Man, they had the, my, my nephew ate the biggest steak there is. They took his picture. I don't know what it is, but it was like one of those feats that you can't, it was like a huge old steak, fat old thing. <coughs> hey, you can handle it. I went to Texas Roadhouse, got my vegetables, and I was cool. I was fine. I was fine. You can do it. Amen? And, um, and so it's possible. And it was funny because I, when I came home, Cisco was at, at the house, and, and I brought home my leftovers. And he goes, well, what would you, what'd you get? <laughs> All vegetables. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 18. All the way to the end. And it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all of the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature... That was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place 
with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his mother, father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Amen? Go ahead and have a seat this morning. <coughs> I found the top ten pickup lines used by Adam for Eve. Not David Letterman, but this is the top 10 picket lines, okay? Pick up lines. Number 10, you know you're the only one for me. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Nine, do you come here often? Number eight, trust me, this was meant to be. Number seven, look around, baby. All the other guys around here are animals. Number six, I already feel like you're a part of me. Number five, honey, you were made for me. Number four, why don't you come over to my place and we can name some animals. Number three, you are the girl of my dreams. Number two, I like a girl who doesn't mind being ribbed. And number one, you're the apple of my eye. Well, as you can guess, today I'm going to be talking a little bit about marriage. This is not just for married couples, but this is for singles. You've got to get all this information and store it, because one day you'll need it. There have been so many of my friends and even people in this church who at one point in time may not have been feeling very well. And they went to the doctor only to find out that they were diabetic. Not knowing that they were diabetic, they were on the verge of going into a diabetic shock. And the reason that they were in that position was because they didn't know that they were diabetic. They were eating all the wrong things. They were eating at all the wrong times. They were doing everything wrong. Had they known, they would have done things differently. Because when you know that you're a diabetic, there are certain things you cannot do. There are certain things you cannot eat. And just how people function without knowing that kind of information and things start going wrong in their body, it's the same thing in marriage. Sometimes you could be doing things and you, this is not feeling right. This is not, it's not happening. And you're functioning until you get to the point where you're realizing, you know what, something is definitely wrong here. You've got to find out. And that's where you have to go to the Word of God to find out what the medicine is to get your marriage where it should be and keep it there. Josh McDowell is a popular youth minister in America, and he was asked the question, what is wrong with marriage in America? He said that the major problem that attacks many people's chance of ever having a happy marriage is a lack of intimacy. There was a debate that went on on TV several years ago with the co-founder of Playboy on TV. And they were 
only able, after three hours, they were only able to agree on one thing. And the one thing that they agreed on was that, that we have not been through a sexual revo revolution. We have been through a revolution that is in search of intimacy. Most of the young people today do not want the physical aspect of sex. They want someone who cares. They want someone that they could care for. That is what intimacy is. Having someone care for you and you care for them. We've allowed our culture to tell us that the only way to find intimacy is through physical. And they are sadly, sadly mistaken because it's a lie. You can never find intimacy in a physical act. There have been men who have slept with a whole lot of women. No intimacy. Women are looking for intimacy, and so they'll find themselves going after men, and they still wind up empty. Because you will never find intimacy in a physical act. The first marriage that God ordained consisted of one man, Adam, and one woman, Eve. God created Adam and Eve, and he told them to be fruitful and to have children. And he told them to be able to stay together. This was the first marriage. God did it. He ordained it. He married them. Marriages are between men and women. Not men and men. Not women and women. They are between men and women. And I don't care what kind of legislation is going on. I don't care what kind of laws are being passed. I don't care what they say about same-sex same marriages, that they're now legal, that they now can have the traditional uh, rights of a traditional marriage. It is a lie. It is an absolute lie. Sometimes the laws of the land do not coincide with the laws of the Bible. And that's one of them. Our schools are teaching that our, uh, teaching our children that homosexual lifestyle is normal and that they have the same rights of adoption and raising children as traditional marriages. Our kids are being bombarded by this lie on school and on TV. Almost every primetime television show has a homosexual lifestyle interwoven in it. <clears throat> That's how they get to the point where they say, well, it's normal. It is not normal. It is a lie. The sad part is that it's even gotten into churches. There are denominations that have ordained priests and bishops and clergy that are homosexual. That's a lie. Sin is separation. That's what sin is. Sin is a wall that is put between you and God. It severs all ties. There is something inside of us that wants intimacy so bad. But the intimacy that we crave is not so much for a person as much as it is for him. We sometimes don't know how to get that intimacy with him. So we look for a substitute to try to fill that void. Instead of going and spending time with God, instead of separating ourselves, instead of reading, instead of 
praying and fasting, instead of doing all that, that takes too much problems. Let me just go find a guy. Let me just go find a girl. Let me see if that will meet the need. And then after that's done, you're right back where you started, but even more in need of intimacy. Because you tried to feel a round circle with a square peg. It'll never happen. There will be no guy or no girl who will ever be able to meet that need of intimacy in your life at the level that you need it. Josh McDowell has been saying the same thing for many, many years. Marriage is God's way. God knows our need for intimacy. He instituted it. Genesis 2.18 said, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. God knows us. When God said that it wasn't good for man to be alone, he used the word that gives us a picture of a branch that has been cut off from a tree. He uses that picture that says it's like a limb that is cut off from the body. It's not a good thing. It's like a severed arm from the body. There's an old story that I came across that says Adam and God were sitting in the garden. And God began bringing all the animals to Adam to name them. And when God brings the elephant, he tells Adam, what do you think you're going to name him? Adam says, I don't know, Lord. He looks like an elephant to me. So that's how he got the name elephant. And everything that the Lord brought him, and that's what's really interesting, see, because God brought every animal to Adam. Adam didn't go looking for all these animals. God brought them. And when he brought them, one of the interesting things was is that God just didn't make one. He made two of every animal because they had to reproduce. So here Adam's naming all these animals as they're coming two by twos. And he's like, the Bible says, everybody has a mate except me. I'm the only one. God says that he brought all these animals and then he left him alone in the garden. Because Adam needed to come to that point where he realized his need for intimacy. God showed Adam more than just animals. He was showing him that he was empty without a relationship on a spiritual level, number one. And then teaching him that intimacy is a need in our life. Human intimacy after spiritual intimacy. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. God knows that we need intimate relationships. That's why the second scripture says in 21-23, he says, he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, took one of his ribs. Now, you know what's really interesting? Anatomy-wise, men are missing one rib. Next to a woman, you put a woman's rib cage and you put a man's rib cage, and there's one missing on a man. It's the way it is. You don't believe me? Look it up. That's really the way it is. There's one rib missing. You guys got one rib out of you. God took it out from Adam, and it reproduced that way all the way to today. And that rib, the Bible says, was taken from a man, and that's what he did. He made a woman. Someone thought of a conversation between Adam and God, and Adam saying, Lord, I'm lonely. I need to have company here. Okay, Adam, 
I'm going to give you the perfect woman. She will be intelligent, beautiful, and gracious. She will cook your meals, clean your garden. She will raise your kids perfectly and never nag or speak an ugly word to you. Wow. That sounds good. But what's it going to cost me? God said, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Well, replied the man, that's a whole lot to give. What can I get for a rib? <laughs> it's just a joke. The woman was taken out of man and brought to him. And that's the way that it was done to imply to man that they are to be one, that this was a first, first marriage ceremony, and God, God tied the knot. And what I want to share with you this morning are some truths about marriage that we need to understand today. Because sometimes we bring in the mentality of what we saw and what we've heard, and we bring that into church, and we think that's how marriage is supposed to be. And I want to bring you some biblical truths this morning. Some of you may not like me after this, but don't take it up with me. Take it up with God, because I want to bring it up in the Word. Amen? First thing, marriage is a relationship of equality. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Both male and female are created in God's image, not one more than the other. The man cannot say to his wife, I am more in the image of God than you are. There is no such thing. We are both created equally. And we're also created equally in spirit. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male or female. You are all one in Christ. So that means that men and women are equally in Christ. They are equally forgiven. They are equally heard in their prayers. Equally heard. It is not the sex of who you are that matters when you pray. It is your faith. God does not hear a male over a female, nor vice versa. Paul says the blessing of salvation covers both male and female. The only time that your prayer will not be hindered, your prayer will be hindered, men. There's not, there's not a scripture in here that says a female will have her prayers hindered. It only talks about a man's prayers being hindered. 1 Peter 3, 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. If you fail to show your wife honor, you fail to show your wife respect, you can pray all day long, your prayers will be hindered. You treat your wife with disrespect, God will not listen to you. That's what the Bible says. She is a fellow heir of the grace of life. She has an eternal life right along with you. She's a co-heir, which means that she inherits the same amount 
of grace and mercy as you do. What is so important to recognize that you're equal and that you're co-heirs? It's important because some men treat their wives like second-class citizens. It's important that you know that your wife has the same amount of love and grace and honor coming from God that you do. You don't have more. The Bible says that men are to treat their wives with honor. That means to highly prize and respect them, to esteem them, to see her as a person of worth. You don't call your wife stupid. You don't call your wife idiot. You know why you don't do that? Let me tell you why. Because the Bible says that the wife is the crown. She is your crown. Some of your crowns don't look too good today. You know what? You don't put your crown in a closet. You don't put your crown in a closed room. You don't put your crown away. You want to wear your crown. You want to put it on so that everybody can see. But some of the crowns around here are a little tarnished because they've been a little bit disrespected. Men are to respect their wife's views and opinion. Doesn't mean you always have to do what she wants, but you need to respect her opinion. She is not inferior to you. Husbands are to see their wives as holy. Too many times I hear men belittle their wives and make jokes about them. Instead of joking about your wife, you should be holding them in reverence. If wives were treated as God described in the verses that we just read, I think your wife might be treating you a little bit different. Some of you may be sitting here today and you're saying, but you don't know my wife. You don't know my wife. She just don't respect me. She doesn't, no matter what I do, she doesn't respect me. Respect isn't something that is learned. Respect isn't something that is required. Respect is earned by the way we treat other people. If you love your wife as Christ loved the church, then I guarantee you, guarantee you, that she will respect you and your authority. And I can tell you that because, see, wives are responders. Women respond to men. So if we're treated with respect and honor, it is so easy to give that back because it's like a boomerang. What you give this way, you get back that way. It's, it's a natural reaction because that's what women do. But now women, not on the men, equal, equal. Women, don't be downing your husband. Some of you down him spiritually. He's not the spiritual man he should be. He doesn't even do this, and he doesn't even do that. And Man, you're, you're down him. You know what? You've got to remember that God is working on him just like he's working on you. When we go out and we evangelize, when we go out and we witness, we don't get in somebody's face and tell them about Jesus because it'll never work. In the same way, wives, you can't do that with your husband. 
You can't be getting in his face and trying to tell him what to do and expect that he's just going to just go ahead and do it. It doesn't work that way. Some of the battles you women fight with your husbands, I'm going to be honest with you, they're not worth fighting over. They're just not worth fighting over. I think I won too many battles. Should have lost more. But we don't always see it when we're in the middle of it. I remember there was a time, and I've shared this quite a few times about how uh, my husband would want to do this one way, and I wanted to do it another way. And I was not uh, a very meek and mild saying, okay, whatever you want. I was like, no, no, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And I would be very verbal in how it was not going to work. And, uh, and I remember there was one specific time that I was adamant that it wasn't going to work. He wanted to, to get into a project, and I just, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. I, I, it's not. And then there happened to be a whole group of men, and my husband used to always bring me into uh, meetings when he used to have the men around, and he, he asked this guy, well, what do you think about the project? Yeah, Pastor, it's a great one. And what do you think? Yeah, Pastor, let's go for it. And he went all the way down the line until he got to me. And, uh, and I've always been truthful to a fault. And I said, I don't think so. It, it's not going to work. And in front of all of the men, my husband told me, why can't you ever just back me up? Why can't you ever just go along? And that was the, you know, the time where you feel like you want the earth to open up and swallow you. Yeah, that was one of those times. <laughs> because it wasn't just me and him. It was him and all the men. So after that, I realized, you know what? I had way overstepped my bounds. Way. And, I, and after the men left, I apologized. And I said, you know what? I'm sorry. That will never happen again. I will never publicly not be right along with what you're doing. As, as of right now, it's gone, and let's go. So after that, the only ones that knew that I wasn't really for this was just the men that were there because nobody else knew that I wasn't for this project. We went with this project. And I was gung-ho, worked hard, got it off the ground, was excited, just threw myself into it. It took five years, five years for everything that I had said that was going to happen to happen. It did happen. But in those five years, God had changed my attitude. And it wasn't like, I told you, you could have just listened to me, just did what I said, it, all of that was gone. Now we were one, and now it was like, you know what, we're in this together. But it was through that that our relationship changed, and he said, I will never go into another project if you are not 100% behind me. See, God had done a work in my life as well as God had done a work 
be his house. And that's where God begins to bring people, men and women, husbands and wives, together. Women, you cannot argue your husband into being the person that God wants him to be. If you show Christ in your life, then it'll be easy for him to show Christ in his life. I had to be the one, the first one to say, you know what? I need to change. As I changed, it was so easy to just come under the Lord and do what I was supposed to do. And then my husband also changed. If your husband's not a believer or he's turned away from the Lord, he can still be won by your behavior. The old saying of actions speak louder than words is very true. People will judge us not by our words, but by our actions. And the Bible says that a woman with a gentle spirit can change not only her husband, she can change the world. Secondly, marriage is a relationship with God's design. In Genesis 2.18, it says, it is not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helper suitable for him. A helper. When God created man first, God set him as the leader. God set the order of creation. God could have created the woman first. He could have. But in his wisdom, he didn't. God has a lot of wisdom. Somebody said God wanted to create the woman last because he didn't want any advice on how to do it. Well, you know, we're always so full of advice. A man's leadership is to be a servant in his leadership. He is not to be a domineering leader. He is not to be a macho boss. He is to lead through service. And then the wife is to be a submissive helper. A helper. The Bible does not say that God created the woman to be a hindrance. It says that he created her to be a helper. Big difference between being a help or being a hindrance. She is not to lead him, but she is to assist him. This is not a matter of inferiority that, oh, he's better. No, it's just God's order. That's all it is. God has an order, and that is his order. You are to be able to assist him. Women, let your husband lead. Follow him. Now, I know the scary thing about following your husband is that sometimes they don't know where they're going. <laughs> and they don't want to ask directions. But you will be accountable not for knowing the direction. You will be held accountable for coming under your husband and assisting him. Men, you have a responsibility to lead. You are not to stand back and make your wife take over. You are to lead with servant leadership. What does that mean? Not to be harsh. That's why the Bible says that you are to live with your wife as the weaker vessel. She can't handle your loud voice sometimes. She can't handle how you come across because you're stronger. You're stronger in the way that you talk. You're stronger in the words that you use. You're stronger in your tone of voice. It's different. 
When women try to lead the family, it violates God's design. If you're a single parent, that's your role for right now. But if you're a married woman, that is not your position. That is your husband's position. Don't try to lead something that you were not designed to do. Number three, marriage is a relationship that is cursed by sin. When Genesis said that he was going to make a helper for Adam, what this means is that he was going to provide an opportunity for man to be fulfilled, to have an intimate relationship that completes him or that complements him. The word comes from a verb meaning to surround or to nurture. That's what women do. Women are natural nurturers. That's why we're the ones that have the babies because it's a natural thing. Most young women, their first baby, they're wondering, am I going to be a good mother? Am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to do that? Can I, I remember as I'm thinking, could I wake up if my baby cries? Because I used to sleep so sound before I had a baby. After that, now I'm, I'm awake at the slightest noise. That's what God built into women, that we're natural nurturers. And that, what, that is what God wants us to be to our husbands, to nurture them. She is to help him, which means that you are supposed to fill in all the areas that he lacks. All the areas that he lacks. Fill in. I, one of my philosophies is that I didn't do whatever my husband was strong in. It was like, why have both of us doing the same thing? Let him do what he was strong in, and I would do what I was strong in. He could remember people's names from 20 years ago. He was the kind that would look at somebody and say, man, I know we went to kindergarten together. You know, he, he knew people's names. He met you one time. He'd remember you, your mother, your grandmother, your kids. He'd remember everybody. So he was so good at that. I never remembered anybody's names because I knew he always did. So I did other things. I was strong in other ways than he was. And that's how you balance each other out. You fill in what they lack. A wife is to make her husband look good, not expose him in his weaknesses, to be a helper, not a hindrance. Genesis 3.16 says this, her desire will be for her husband and he will have rule over you. What God is saying in this scripture is that part of the curse is that a wife is going to want to control her husband. Women, you're going to have to come to grips with that part of your sin nature. There is that deep down desire to control. A wife who plots and schemes to go around her husband's leadership is the result of a man that is not the spiritual aggressor of the family. He is not leading his home in love. He is not leading his home in service. And he is not leading his home with sacrifice. If a woman, if your wife is always going around your leadership and always trying to plot and always trying to find a way to get what she wants, then men, I would probably caution you that you need to spend more time before the throne. Because a man who is before God will be able to lead his home with love, service, and sacrifice. 
God has a plan for your home, man. And he expects you to be able, the Bible says, to give yourself to your wife as Christ gave himself to the church. God's original plan for the woman was to respond to that kind of love and to pay her husband honor, respecting him. What is very important is that the Bible says that husbands, you need to love your wives, and wives, you need to respect your husbands. It doesn't say husbands, respect your wives, and wives, love your husbands. It says husbands, love, wives, respect. And the reason that that scripture, those scriptures are in there is because God knew exactly what men and women need. Women need love. In order for them to feel secure, in order for them to feel safe, they need to know that they know that they're loved. Whereas men, on the other hand, they need to be respected. Why do you think there's so many gang fights out there? Because he dissed me. He disrespected me. Man, they'll go into fights. They'll go and they'll kill for disrespect. If you tell them, I don't love you anymore, they're like, fine. They don't care. Guys don't care about love, if a guy loves them or not, but they care about respect. That's why the Bible says, wives, respect your husbands. Because of the effect of sin, we've seen men abuse their position as head of the house, and they run their home like a dictator. Women, you need to know that your desire, one of the desires of sin, is to want to control. So when it rises up, you need to squash it. Men, do not put work before your family. Do not. Don't be harsh and domineering in your leadership either. And number four, and the last one, marriage is a relationship which God has provided a cure for. In the scripture of Ephesians 5, where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In Christ, God reverses the curse. Because in Genesis 3 that we read, 325, it says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. When the Bible says that they were naked, what that means is that there was nothing that was unknown to each other. Eve knew Adam. Adam knew Eve. They didn't have to be uh, embarrassed or ashamed. Adam knew what Eve was thinking. Eve knew what Adam was thinking. And because they were communicating their thoughts, and their feelings, they didn't have to have any shame. Most relationships don't communicate at that level because they're embarrassed of what they're thinking. They're embarrassed to tell their spouse certain things. But the Bible says that that's the kind of relationship that we need to have. That's the kind of relationship that we need to work toward. That's the formula for an intimate relationship where you can communicate with your spouse your innermost feelings and knowing that they're still going to accept you. 
knowing that they're not going to reject you, knowing that that is the basis for intimacy. Intimacy is the missing ingredient in every empty relationship. There are married couples that are sitting here today that there's an emptiness in your life. And you have your spouse sitting next to you. Or you have your spouse at home. And you're empty this morning. What you're missing is intimacy. Singles, you're looking for a spouse to meet that need of intimacy. I'm going to let you know now, it won't happen. It will not happen. Because intimacy will not come because you have somebody sitting next to you with a ring on your finger. Intimacy happens with the Lord first. If you do not have an intimate relationship with the Lord, you will never have an intimate relationship with anybody. It's impossible. Many relationships in or out of marriage suffer because of lack of intimacy. A marriage that will last forever is like a braid. Women know what braids, how you make a braid. And sometimes if you look at someone who has a braid, it only looks like there's two. But in order to make a braid, you need three. Three pieces of hair. Even though it looks like two, there's three. If you try it with only two, it's going to fall apart. It can't hold anything together. You need that third strand of hair to pull that braid together. And that is what makes a braid strong when it's got three parts. Well, it's the same in marriage. The exact same thing. You're going to have one wife. You'll have one husband. But if you don't have God interwoven in your marriage, it's going to fall apart. It will fall apart. It's not good enough that you just come on Sunday morning and you have no relationship with God outside of church. What's really sad is 50% of marriages are failing. And 50% of Christian marriages are failing. Just because you're a Christian, that's not a guarantee that you'll make it. The only way you're going to make it, the only way is to get Christ in that braid. Because without that braid, you're just two pieces that will fall apart. I've learned a lot in the 27 years that I was married. Learned that without God, it's virtually impossible to stay married. You need him. Those of you who one day may want to get married, you need God in your life at the absolute utmost right now. You need him more than you need anybody. There is nobody no body that will be able to meet that need like Christ. And some of you are thinking, you know, yeah, I know, I know, I've heard that, I've heard that, but you got to hear, not with your ears, but you got to hear with your heart. Because if you don't, you're going to make a mistake. Without God in a marriage, it's going to fall apart. Marriage is for a lifetime. It's not until we get into our first argument it's not until we get to the point where, you know, I don't like you anymore or I feel like I don't love you because love is fickle. We 
We love a lot of things. One day we love it, and next thing we don't. Love is an emotion. We do not base our marriage on an emotion. We base our marriage on commitment. When you said, I do, you made a commitment for life. For life. So when the Bible says that what God has joined together, no one can separate them. The only one that can separate them is you. Marriage is tough. Ask any married couple. It's hard work. It is hard work. You think you work hard when you're single? You don't even know. You have no idea. You really work hard when you're married. The only way that you should get married is if you're ready to die. (laughs) And I don't mean physically. I mean die to flesh. That's what it's all about. Dying to the flesh. Dying to get it done your way. See, when you're single, you do it your way. You have it your way. You get up when you want. You go to sleep when you want. You watch TV programs, whatever you want. You, you know, you keep your car the way you want. You do everything the way you want. Throw your clothes on the floor. <laughs> throw the newspaper here. Throw the mail over here. Don't pay your bills on time. You could do whatever you want. But when you get together with someone and God's humor always brings you the exact opposite. The exact opposite. You're sloppy, you're going to marry somebody neat. You don't pay your bills on time, you're going to marry somebody who always pays their bills on time. If you're messy, oh man, you're in for it. Because you're going to get somebody who just cannot stand messy things. So, what I'm saying is, marriage is for life. Is it tough? Yes. But God meets our intimate needs. If you meet him on an intimate level, then you'll be able to have an intimate relationship here. If you're trying to have this intimate relationship here, and it's not here, you're missing out. You're missing out. Stand with me this morning. I know that this message was primarily about marriage, but I tried to throw in other things for those of you who are single, who are wanting to get married one day. You got to know that you know that marriage is not an easy thing. You should not enter into marriage lightly. The sad part about our life today is that we go by chemistry. Oh, man. He's cute. She's cute. We go by what we see. And marriage is about everything you don't see. We base it on what they look like. And everything about marriage is based upon what you don't like. But it's on the inside. Chemistry fades. In six or eight months of your marriage, chemistry's done. Before they were like the, you know, the most beautiful woman in the world, the most gorgeous guy on earth. After six or eight months, they ain't that gorgeous. They ain't that beautiful. You don't base your decision on what they look like. You base it on who they are on the inside. 
And what I want to do first is I'm just going to invite all of the married couples first to come. I'm going to ask you to come.